It's all psychological. You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 108, and our movie this week was the 1975 shark movie Jaws. And joining me to talk about it, because he had never seen it before, Joey from the So Wizard podcast. Joey, how are you doing? What's going on, party people? Uh, Yeah, don't... Don't shoot the messenger. I have never seen the movie Jaws up until about six hours ago. So the first question I usually have, especially with a movie like this, is how is it that you've gone this long and not seen it? Especially like a movie like this that's so part of the zeitgeist, right? And so much like it's parodied endlessly and however many sequels and all of that. How is it you never saw this? Well... <laughs> When I was a uh, kid, I was a huge, huge Frady cat. I was terrified of anything even remotely horror-related. I um, never watched any horror movies, period, until I was probably 13 years old. Okay. And I was scared of, like, commercials. I was scared. I used to run and hide in the other room when commercials would come on when I was watching TV. I don't know why I was scared of commercials. I just was. <laughs> uh so I was I was just terrified of anything even remotely scary. And uh, yeah, this was just for me way too scary. So I never, ever, ever tried to watch it. But. Okay. Um, now, are, are you much of a horror movie, monster movie fan these days? Or is this still not kind of really in your wheelhouse? Well, no, I can watch oh, I can watch horror stuff now. Um, we watch horror stuff a lot on the show, too. So it's just nothing too crazy gory or... Mm-hmm super like disturbing, but yeah, I mean, I can sit down and watch like Halloween or Friday the 13th, any of that kind of stuff. So uh, that's not a problem at all. Okay. So this movie came out in 1975 and uh, amazingly, this is rated PG. Um, and you wouldn't think it watching it, but then again, you have to realize like there was no PG 13 at the time. This would absolutely have fallen into that category. Mm -hmm. Um, there were boobs in this right off the bat. I was, I was stunned. Yeah. Yep, there were boobs in the water, and then and it wasn't overly gory. Um, and some of that was by design, and some of that was by happenstance. We'll get into in a little bit, but uh, overall, um, did you did you have a good time watching it? Yeah, I was really surprised at at how good it was, and I knew it was going to be good because it's a classic. Let's be real; it's a quote unquote classic movie. Everybody loves this movie. Uh, I am now lost my ability to tell someone I haven't seen jaws and enjoy their like <laughs> stunned look on their face and their disbelief. But yeah, this was a really good movie there. There's really nothing to, uh, to complain about in terms of movie making it. It's just watching it, even with it being, I don't want to age myself, but, but about two years older than me. Um, you can tell that, that there's just quality filmmaking going on throughout the whole thing. So, yeah, and so it, directed by Steven Spielberg, this was one of his earliest movies. Um, this was pre... So I've covered Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was two years later. 
Um, this was kind of his biggest, his his first real big movie. Now, one of the interesting, really interesting things about this, from not from a filmmaking standpoint, but from kind of a film industry standpoint, this really was the first summer blockbuster. Um, and this movie opened in June of 1975. And, and back then, we think today... Okay, maybe not today, but like up until last year, um, theater going summer was when the big movies came out, right? That's when your Avengers Endgame or your Dark Knight, all these movies are coming out in the summer and it's a big time for uh, for films. That wasn't the case in the 70s, especially. Um, you didn't put out big movies then. It was Summer was almost looked at as the dumping ground of, oh, this is kind of crap. We'll put it out in the summer. Nobody's going to movies anyway. But the thing was, this one came out. They did a, a pretty good premiere for it. It was about six months late. It was supposed to come out in Christmas of 74, but they were in way over uh, time when they were making it. So they put it out in 75, and people flocked to the theater to see this, and it was the first film to ever make $100 million at the box office. So I thought that was pretty interesting um, as sort of the genesis of the summer blockbuster uh, for it to be a movie like this, which is sort of effects heavy, but then the more you think about it, the, the, the more you realize like it really isn't, it's a very simple kind of film, but it was apparently just a pain to, to make for Spielberg and kind of the whole crew, because what was the story I think I heard was that Spielberg said in his kind of, he was about 28 when he made this, by the way, which damn it. <laughs> what, what have I been doing with my life? Um, well, I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> but he uh, he said that in his kind of uh, naive young uh, young self, he was determined to shoot it on the ocean as much as possible and not in a tank anywhere. And so that made things rough because, um, it, you know, you got to take a boat out and you got all the people that are on the boat. So they had to reinforce and, and add ballast to it to keep the thing afloat. In fact, the orca... Um, that sank the the fake version that they used to actually sink the boat was more seaworthy than the one they were shooting on for the entire film <laughs> because of all the stuff that they added to it and all the the crew and everything that they had on there so i thought that was kind of kind of like the stories of making this movie it's a miracle this ever became a finished film mm-hmm. it was uh notorious and uh and, and famously the sharks didn't work well um one story was that, you know, they didn't test them in the water before taking them to Martha's Vineyard, which, no, that, I, I don't buy that. There, there's competing stories there, but they didn't test them in salt water. So they get them out into the ocean, and the salt in the water is messing with the electronics. The, the sharks didn't look good. What that ended up giving us was, I think, a better film because they were forced to not show the shark all the time. And... You mentioned Halloween as a movie that you can sit down and watch as a horror movie. And that's another of this vein of movies where less is more. And not seeing the shark for, it was over an hour into the movie before you see, a, you catch a glimpse of the shark. And it's just a shot of it underwater. And I, I feel like that's a lot more powerful from the standpoint of watching it. Because now your brain gets to do fill in all the blanks. And all you have is the reactions of people. Um, what did you mm-hmm. think about that kind of thing in terms of like, this movie is called Jaws. It's about a shark. The shark is not in the movie until almost three quarters of the way through it. 
I actually enjoyed that about the movie a lot. I really liked the creeping existential dread of the movie <laughs> for a lot of it. I really enjoyed just knowing it's, it's, I think coming at it from where we are now, like knowing more about the movie than we did. If we were walking into a theater in 1975, uh, you know, there's a shark in there. I mean, obviously there's a shark on the poster of the movie, but a lot of the townspeople, especially the mayor, are kind of denying it's a shark or they catch the wrong shark. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, no, 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 no. There's a giant killer shark out there. And people keep going back on the beach, keep going in the water, keep going in boats. And it just gives you this this dread. Even just the kids hanging out at the dock when uh, they're at their house and, and the mom's like, ah, oh, you're fine. Just stay in the boat. And you're just sitting there like, no, get get out of the goddamn <laughs> boat. Like, get yep. out. Like exactly. get as far away from that beach as humanly possible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that works great. I grew up in uh, Massachusetts. I still live in Massachusetts and I've been to Martha's Vineyard and seen like the places this was filmed. So it, it's still a big deal there all this time later. Oh, I bet that. And that's the thing, that existential dread, right? That, that whole, like, we don't, we know more than the audience does and the audience, or I'm sorry, not the audience, the characters, and, but the characters are making every wrong decision. Like that mayor, I'm sorry, that mayor is an idiot. And the worst, probably the the worst, he's the villain, really, if you think about it in the film. The shark is just doing shark things. He's just out there eating because there's food in the water. The mayor is the one making sure there's still a buffet for uh, for Bruce, which was what they called the shark on set. And I love that. Um, yeah, so, Okay. So Steven Spielberg, are you much of a Spielberg fan? Um, and any I'm, not of his other not, work? I'm not not a Spielberg fan, okay. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't say I'm like he's on my top five directors list or anything like that. But I don't think he sucks or anything. Um, I don't know. It's just it's hit or miss. I think he's a great director when he wants to be. And sometimes he's not. So That's a good way to put it. I think what Spielberg is good at is capturing what people want to see. He's mm-hmm. he actually at, at one point three different movies of his have been the highest grossing films of all time. Right. I think for me with him, it's not, if I see Steven Spielberg has, is making a new movie, it's not going to automatically put me in the theater. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me, Oh, there's a new Tarantino film and it's three hours long and it's mostly just people talking cause it's Tarantino <laughs> film or pictures of feet, um, set in 1960s LA. Um, I'm like, all right, well I love Tarantino. I'm going to go check it out. I don't care what it's about. But I'm not probably going to go see War Horse. You know, I don't. I don't know. So Fair enough. It, no, I, it's got it's got to be the right subject matter with Spielberg for me. He hasn't in my like love of movies. He hasn't gone over that hump where I'm just going to automatically see anything he makes. And that that's honestly kind of where I sit with him. I there's a lot of his movies that I enjoy. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love um, actually all three Indiana Jones films. Um, Three. I thought there were four of those. No, there's only three. That we don't talk about that other one. <laughs> um, but all three of those movies, uh, I really enjoy. Um, the the first Jurassic Park, uh, because of especially because of when that came out and the fact that I was I was like twelve, um, seeing that in the theater just blew my mind. I won't uh, tell you how old I was when that came out. You were a couple years older. I, I get it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I saw it on a date. <laughs> Well, with my high school girlfriend. There you go. Um, but it he is a little hit or miss and that there is some of his stuff that uh isn't great. But then he'll put out something like um uh Munich 
and it's very different from other movies that he's done. And you're like, holy crap, okay, this guy can actually make like powerful movies as well as just incredibly crowd-pleasing. But to think that you can see in this movie that talent and that ability to make a movie that people are going to want to see if you know he's doing that at 28 years old and kind of his first major film. I can only imagine how stressful it was for him, though, because this movie went over budget. It went uh, incredibly over schedule. He was getting calls apparently from the studio like every day telling him he was never going to work again. And as the story goes, the crew wanted to dunk him in the water after the final shot. And so he and I don't know how much I believe this story, but I thought it was pretty funny. So I had to I had to tell it. He had set up. He was packed and ready to leave, had the car waiting for him at the dock and had a boat next to the boat they were shooting on. And so he got everything all set up for the final shot and then hopped on the other boat and yelled, action, I'm leaving, and took off for shore (laughs) and flew out that night. And I I want that to be true because it sounds like a really hilarious story. It probably isn't, but, you know, that's... uh, that's the type of thing when you're a young filmmaker and ambitious. Like, this is an ambitious project to do at the time, um, especially to shoot on the ocean. And he wanted to make sure that you didn't see the any land for a long time because he wanted that feeling of isolation of uh, the three characters, especially in that second half of the movie. So I, I, I like Spielberg, and this, for me, is one of his better films, honestly. Um, oh, I would definitely put it up there, especially after having finally watched it. So. What it, what it does is it does something for me that works really well, which is here's a very simple story. Shark. Got to get rid of the shark. That's it. That's all you need to know to, to kind of get the plot. But then he makes these characters that you get invested in and get interested in. Robert Shaw, for instance. Let's talk about him for a second. Is Quint. Talk about chewing up the scenery. Like, everything he's he's just chewing scenery in every scene he's in he shows up has one of the better entrances i've seen in a movie um in that scene in the in the room where he does the nails on the chalkboard Mm -hmm. and then he just disappears for like a half an hour you don't see him again but then when he comes back he's just got so many great moments out on that boat he's very very captain ahab um in fact were you aware this was uh there's a novel for jaws no I, I mean, I am now because I saw it in the opening credits, but okay, I, I did not know that this was based on a novel. No. Yeah, so the novel was actually written in 1974-73, so it was a very quick turnaround. Like they were um, basically the producers were greenlighting and trying to fund this movie as the novel was hitting store shelves. So they changed a few things, but apparently the character of Quint in the novel is basically just Captain Ahab. And they tried to change him up a little bit for the movie and make him into that salty fisherman. But Shaw, for me, just kills it in this movie. And I I can't help but love every scene that he's in. And then you read about the fact that he was basically drunk the whole time. Um, he's pretty much drunk the whole time and making Richard Dreyfuss's life hell on set. Well, that works. That That's method acting right there. <laughs> it really is. It says Dreyfus was also was about 28 at the time, a uh, young up and coming guy. And Shaw kind of made his life really difficult on set, like ragged on him a bunch, uh, told him he was out of shape, all this kind of stuff. And according to Dreyfus, that was the worst thing about making this movie was was dealing with Robert Shaw. Um, <laughs> but then you get all of that 
but then there's that moment where he's telling the story of the USS Indianapolis and that is just such a compelling scene and it's so well delivered that I can't help but be like, okay, Robert Shaw wins this movie for me. <laughs> so, um, and Dreyfus, on the other hand, I want to not like, but he's, he's probably the most likable character. Him and, him and, um, uh, Roy Scheider, the, um, chief, chief Brody, they're like the most likable characters in the movie because everybody else, and apparently that was another thing in the novel that they changed a lot of. Spielberg said, yeah, I read the novel and I was actually like rooting for the shark because none of the humans were, were worthwhile. So they did try to change some of those characterizations, but, um, yeah, like I liked Dreyfus in this quite a bit. Um, and this was, did you, did you ever see Close Encounters of the Third Kind? No, actually, um, tying in with being scared of everything, even to this day, I'm horrified of being abducted by aliens. So I try to avoid movies like that as much yeah, as possible. Yeah, I would, I would not watch that movie then. <laughs> um, that's another one of those where it's, it's freakier than it has any right to be being PG. Uh, but Spielberg, Spielberg was really good at that. Because you look at uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is rated PG. Um, E.T. is uh, has got some really freaky moments in it. So there's just, for whatever reason, Spielberg had this ability to make like something that seems so family friendly and yet freaking scary at the same time. Was know. Temple of Doom PG or was that PG-13? Temple of Doom actually was PG and it was one of the movies that made the PG-13 rating happen. Right, right, right. I know it was involved in the whole idea in Genesis of PG-13. I just didn't know if it was actually really rated that or not. Maybe it is retroactively. I think it is retroactively, yeah. But I know um, Red Dawn was like the first, one of the first PG-13 movies. That's right. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, he just has that ability to do that. And then, but the reason I bring that up is Dreyfus is in that movie. And I thought I, I praised him when we were covering that on this show. Um and I'm realizing that I like young Richard Dreyfus, like that that smart mouth, quick talking guy. This character's perfect for him because he's this uh, rich kid who has all the toys and has all the things and thinks he knows everything. And he's he gets out on the ocean and he he kind of he does and he doesn't right. So like Quint and the the animosity between Robert Shaw and uh, Dreyfus worked for the characters, but Quint doesn't like this kid, but yet can see that he's useful. And the kid, you know, um, Hooper doesn't like Quint, but also understands as they get going that, okay, this guy actually knows what he's doing. Meanwhile, you got Brody's there. Like, I just want to call the police or the coast guard. <laughs> like for half the time on the boat, that's all he wanted was to call the coast guard until he wrecked the radio. So, I don't know. I just I, those three characters carry the movie, and I think all three of them are are so well displayed, and they're the they're Spielberg made them the focus of it rather than it being about just about getting the shark. It's about these three guys getting the shark, and I think that that's what makes it something that kind of sticks with people over time. Yeah, and you're cheering for them to get the shark as opposed to just hoping it. They're they're not just fodder. You know, by the by the time Quint dies at the end of the movie, spoiler, um, you actually do care. You're like, oh, no, I was hoping they were all going to make it. And he didn't make it. So, 
Right, yeah, and he actually goes out and he's got like the one gruesome death you see on screen. Interestingly enough, because you know we like everyone else gets kind of pulled underwater, or you see like there's the shot with the with the leg, but his was yep. his was all out. Like they they went all out for that one. Um, and yeah, I was that's surprised that they see. killed a little kid in this movie. Yeah, I know. That's like, I mean, oh, that, that kid will get out of the water. Ha <laughs> ha, aren't you scared of sharks? And it's like, oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> oh, shit. This shark is not messing around. No, he's not. Um, and, I mean, this movie made a lot of people scared to go in the water. Let's be honest. Uh, if you weren't scared to go in the water before this movie, um, and there was some, like, real-life fallout where, oh, what was it I'd read? Something about some kind of a, a shark or whale that had beached itself somewhere some people saw it thought it was a shark and beat it to death um on the <laughs> oh, on the no. beach and there were like the like shark scares went up hardcore after this uh movie came out and i i understand it um but damn uh so the shark i got to talk about him because uh <laughs> they named the shark Bruce and they actually had 3 of them um they had three full-size sharks. And basically what it was is they had one that was open um, without any covering on the left side and then one that was open and without any covering on the right side and then one that was fully covered so they could try and get all their different shots. They never worked. Uh, Spielberg thought they didn't look right and they would constantly break down. A lot like if you look at any behind-the-scenes stuff on Jurassic Park, they ran into some similar issues with the T-Rex. And the animatronics just didn't work. So it forced them to show the shark less and the movies so much better for it because now what they did was they, you know, using things like the barrels um, to create the tension. I love that. I love that because you don't need to know anything more other than uh, you see these barrels. And as soon as that barrel pops up, you know, the shark is near the surface and some shit's about to happen. So I, I was a big fan of the ways they got around showing the shark all the time and then doing some stuff from like kind of a shark uh, POV, some shots from under the water. I wonder to, if those were shot in a swimming pool or not, because I know you said he wanted to do as much on the water as possible, but I wonder if that was done in a tank or controlled environment. I think some of them were. I know they, they tried to shoot a lot of stuff on the water. Um they had to develop a, some kind of a camera rig to help um, with the bobbing of the boat. Mm-hmm. But I think the underwater stuff may have been shot in a tank. That would make a lot yep. more sense filmmaking-wise anyway. It's not James Cameron. He didn't make everybody learn how to hold their breath for five minutes. Oh, man. <laughs> but but the movie wasn't without danger. Apparently, um, one of the co-screenwriters was... Um, there was the character that was always with the mayor, had the mustache. He was kind of like uh, running the newspaper or something. Um, that character was one of the co-writers of the movie, and Carl Gottlieb. He actually almost got killed um, making this movie. They, they're, the scene where they find that fishing boat where um, uh, Hooper and Brody go out at night after they cut the, yep. the one shark open. They're like, oh, we're going to go out. They find that fishing boat. Well, originally that was uh, shot during the day, and that character was with them, the guy played by Carl Gottlieb. While they were out filming, he slipped um, and fell into the water and almost got uh, hit by a boat propeller. 
Um, so yeah, there was that one. And then, uh, I think something happened with Spielberg where he fell or almost got run over by a boat or I don't remember what it was, but I couldn't find, I just saw like, you know, danger or, or accidents involving them, but, uh, I never got the specifics on Spielberg, but yeah, a couple people had that happen to him while they were out on the water. So Plus, this uh, is a long time ago, so who knows? The rules may have been a little <laughs> more loose and fast when shooting movies than they are today, unless you're making a Resident Evil movie. So, Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, OSHA is not part of these um, these things, I don't think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's crazy some of the stories that go into making these movies. and uh, the So they had an, a version of the Orca that actually did sink, um, not on purpose. Uh, what they were doing was they were using a speedboat tied to one side of the boat to, to get the, um, the effect of the shark hitting the boat and it knocking it kind of off on one side. So they would take, uh, they had a line run onto the, and anchored onto the boat and then they would drive a speedboat in the other direction. So it would pull on it. And apparently it pulled and pulled a, a hole in the boat. And it was like two minutes later, the boat was sinking. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Spielberg. So that's is, where all the budget, the over budget went to. All these <laughs> things sinking yeah. and people almost getting killed. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Spielberg has gone on record saying, like, look, if I had it to do over again, I probably would have shot it in Hollywood in a tank. Uh, but that's not what he wanted to do at the time. And um, it wouldn't be even half as good. No, not at all. No, because it would look like one of the sequels, right? There would yeah. be. <sighs> And the problem with the sequels is that they look cheap, but they also overuse the shark. And, yep. you know, it's one of those things, a monster movie especially, I I contain, I contest needs to show less of the monster. Um, because event, it, inevitably you're going to create something scarier in your mind than what they're going to show you on screen. So give us glimpses, give us parts of it, but let us fill in the blanks as an audience. And that's what this movie did for so long. And yeah, it shows the shark at the end and you're going to, you know what a shark looks like, but to not have to just blatantly show it all the time keeps you on edge and keeps you wondering what's, what's going to happen next. So yeah. I'm, yeah I'm, and the sequels kind of lose that gorilla punk rock DIY kind of feeling that this one had like this is almost lightning in a bottle then you know spielberg leaves most of the cast leaves mm -hmm. and you're left with whatever the hell the rest of the sequels are. <laughs> yeah i've never seen two or three but i i, I actually this is funny even though i had never seen the first one i have seen part four multiple times so. is that one uh the one with michael kane yes where the, the shark is chasing them in the yes. bahamas and it's roaring <laughs> like a lion <laughs> oh yeah, it's weird. This is one of the few times where um, uh, there is a kind of franchise movie that Spielberg was part of. It seems to happen for him when he when he works on the first part and then leaves and the subsequent sequels. Like um, uh, Poltergeist had that problem where yep. the sequels got worse and worse, but Spielberg was heavily involved in the first one and it was really well done. Um, Allegedly, uh, Ghost directed it. <laughs> right, yeah. Depending on who you talk to, he made the damn movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was uh, like, I, I just, I don't know what else to say about Jaws as a film. It's so well paced too, I think. For a two hour movie, it really doesn't feel like that. I, I checked. Right. I never, I never felt like I was like, oh God, hurry it up. And the funny thing about watching this this morning is, you know, I worked third shift. So I got home, I got out of work at 630 in the morning. I went to the gym 
I came home and I'm like, all right, I got to watch Jaws for tonight. And I sat down and watched it. And I never was like, oh, God, I'm dying. I need to go to bed. <laughs> Well, that's like, good. I was watching it. I enjoyed it. And I never once hit up on the remote to be like, how much time is left in this? How much time? Oh, what's it been? 15 minutes? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, the only time I did that while I was watching it this time around was I wanted to know exactly when the shark showed up, like when you first saw it. So I checked then and it was like an hour and two minutes. So almost exactly half the running time. Wow. Um, before you get the first glimpse of the shark and... Then they, you know, they show it quite a bit towards the second half, but even then, not not overly. Um, right. But man, when you get it, some cool shots of him popping out of the water, or you see him underneath the water, but it's not really until he jumps up on the boat that you get that full. Oh, I guess maybe when he attacks uh, Richard Dreyfus in the cage. But when he gets Richard Dreyfus in the cage, there's the shot where Brody is chumming, and he yep. pops out of the water there. Um, that that's a classic, iconic shot from this movie. And then, of course, it has one of the best lines ever. Um, yep. Right after that. Now, what I another kind of filmmaking thing that I thought was interesting with this was uh, they did a test screening, and that that particular shot got the biggest reaction from people. But Spielberg went back in and he added the moment with the fishing boat where there's the dead guy inside of it that scares Dreyfus and he drops the, the shark tooth. And after he did that, they did another test screening that got the biggest reaction. And then the second one with the shark, it was less of a reaction that time around. And that's when Spielberg was like, okay, I get it now. You only get one of those per movie. So, okay. So curious for you um, to know from you then, what was the, was there anything that really did kind of catch you off guard or startle you or get you with a jump scare? Just the guy in the boat. <laughs> Do you I think... wasn't expecting that. And I felt like the movie had kind of lulled me into a false sense of, okay, well, there's not going to be any jump scares. Like, like I said earlier, there was more about the existential feeling of dread of like, there's a shark out there killing people and nothing can stop it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean like a kid got like murdered and, <laughs> And some other people got eaten. Some guy with really bad hair watched that girl with boobs die in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, people were dying. But even seeing a leg get chopped off, like nothing had prepared me for Bleh! like jumping out at you. The movie, thankfully, did not have a lot of those. Uh, so it was earned and it wasn't something it relied on for the whole movie. Thank God, because that's just that gets tiresome after a while. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I. I am not one of the uh, anti-jump scare people in a vacuum, but the problem that mm -hmm. I have with them is they just get overused. And especially right. when they're so telegraphed, you're like, okay, there's going to be one, there's going to be one. And there it is. Um, yeah. And that, that happens to me sometimes in the theater when we're watching uh, horror movies. It's like, you just, you just know, you know, one's coming. You're like, all right. So I just, I look off to the side yep. so that, just so that I don't go, huh? Ah. Jump in the air in the movie theater like a yeah. like I'm I'm terrified or anything. Mostly I just you know I don't want my daughter to be like I don't be like you know I'm just watching a movie with my daughter I'm like all right I'm I'm manly you know I'm not scared. <laughs> right exactly exactly. Well in this one it like you said they earned it but I think also because up until that point in the movie you were always given like the music would start to swell you'd get the the tuba sound right the da da da, -da. so you knew the shark was coming and this time around. There wasn't that. And then on top of you get this head, this dead face coming out of the, the boat 
the hole in the boat there, but then they also put that really shrill sound behind it as well. And yeah, it just kind of grabs you. So yeah, I, I see what you're saying with uh, with an earned one. And that's honestly, it's the one that gets me every time I watch it. And I can, I've seen this movie a bunch. I know it's coming. I still startle just a little bit from it. Uh, you know, that's a that's a good use of a jump scare. Um, and then the moment that I mentioned earlier with chumming um, and uh, the shark coming out of the water there, that's great because that's your first real look at the shark. And the reaction, apparently the you're going to need a bigger boat line was an ad lib. Oh. Um, and from what I understand, the first cut they showed to test audiences, um, there wasn't a, as much of a gap in between the shark coming out of the water and when he says that line. And there was, uh, according to what I read, there were too many people that were still reacting to the shark coming out of the water. They all missed the you're going to need a bigger boat line. So they went back and kind of recut things to, to lengthen that out a little. So I love Well, there's that lightning in a bottle that you really can't remake in the sequels. So Yeah. Yep. And I, I love little stories like that where where like test audiences actually do help because they, they can help make a movie better um, as long as you're not too beholden to them. Uh, here's a fun story. And I, I like this one. So the woman that played Mrs. Kintner, which was the, the mother of the young boy that gets killed. Um, mm-hmm. She went into a seafood restaurant and noticed that on the menu, they had the Alex Kintner sandwich. And so she commented that she had played his mom on uh, the, the character's mom. The owner of the restaurant came out and it was Jeffrey Voorhees who played Alex Kintner in the movie. <laughs> and apparently they hadn't seen each other since the movie had been shot. So I, that's one of those really cool stories. Uh, that I love to hear. Yeah, I read that a lot of the extras and some of the actors were from Martha's Vineyard. So mm-hmm. I think they, they're still around. <laughs> yeah. So the movie was shot mostly in Martha's Vineyard. And you said you're from Massachusetts, right? Yep. Okay. So a lot of the extras were from there, like you mentioned. And they um, they actually paid a lot of people for that and they they paid for use of uh of areas up there i guess the people of martha's vineyard originally were pretty happy to have them there and then as things went on they were they were less happy um and it started getting kind of antagonistic so i can imagine that would be difficult i don't know how you would feel i i I live in an area where barely like no no films get made here so I'm curious how you would feel living somewhere where basically this movie company comes in and they take over and they're, they're doing that for that length of time. Would, would that be something that you would be like excited about or would you kind of get tired of it after, after a while? Part of me want, as a movie fan wants to say, I'd be super excited about it. But if it's starting to inconvenience my everyday life, like my commute to work or noise when I'm trying to sleep and all that sort of stuff, then I'd probably get annoyed with it after a while, especially if it's, you know, at that time, a young director on a movie you hadn't heard of. You'd be like, ah, this they're filming some stupid flop up the street. I can't even get to work. Get out of here. It's so. funny that you call it a flop because apparently on set, a lot of people were calling the movie flaws and <laughs> like famously Richard Dreyfus did not think this movie was going to be a hit at all. And after it came out and it was doing record numbers, he was like, 
well, I guess I got to go back on all the talk shows and tell them how dumb I was. <laughs> so, yeah, the movie made ungodly amounts of money. So, oh, just I mean, insane. Uh, first hundred million dollar movie. I I didn't realize that. I knew it was the first blockbuster. I didn't realize it was the first hundred million dollar movie. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that I I heard uh, as well was um, the character of Quint is in the book, he's very much just Captain Ahab. And he kind of, you can still see that in the in this movie, but a lot of his characterization came from some locals in Martha's Vineyard that were part of shooting. One of them was the, so the boat that Brody and Hooper find um, is the boat of Ben, uh, I, they give his name, it's like Ben um, uh, Gardner. And that character is actually the guy that meets Hooper on the dock when he first shows up. Um, has that has one of my favorite exchanges in the movie. I don't know why it cracked me up watching it, but it's where uh, he gets off the boat and there's a standing face to face, like right up against each other. And Hooper's like, "Hi," and he goes, "Hi back." Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that guy was an actual uh, fisherman named Craig Kingsbury, and they used a lot of him and then some uh, like boat mechanic that had a shop next to where they were uh, building Quint's sets. Um, and those two guys, Kingsbury and this other guy, Lynn something or other, kind of became the basis for Quint uh, to the point where they were recording conversations with them so that they could get the wording right for what they were saying. Uh, because I guess the guy Lynn got super pissed off because the the mist and um, carryover from like painting was getting onto his shop and he didn't like it. So he came over and yelled at him. Um, and then they ended up, he ended up kind of being like helpful and helping them uh, actually get what looked like a real fishing boat. Because I think it was one of those where he, he looked at their, their stuff and be like, this doesn't even look like a fishing boat. Let me show you how this is actually done. Okay. Um, another good one was <laughs> this one uh, I thought was brilliant. They were building on uh, like, a, I think it was an empty space. And they were putting up uh, a facade for a house. I think it was actually supposed to be Quint's shop. And somebody in one of the towns in Martha's Vineyard um, came by and basically told them, you can't do that without permits. You know, you need, it's not up to code. And they're like, it's not a real building. We're just, just it's for the movie. And the guy was like, I don't care. It's got to be up to code. And he left. And somebody else came over and be like, look, it's going to take like two months for them to actually get a cease and desist order. Just make your thing, shoot what you got to shoot, and then tear it down, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and so that's what they did. They they built the thing, shot in there for two weeks, and then tore it down before they could get a cease and desist order. That's but, awesome. And again, more stuff that would never happen today. No, not at all. <laughs> no. Not only uh, has this all been of shot interior, some studio somewhere, but every, and everything in a tank. Like They never would have built those kind of sets. Well, not only that, but they wouldn't have built an animatronic shark, right? The whole thing would have been done nope. CG. Um, and what this, I mean, this movie could benefit from CG to make the shark look a little bit better. But I think having an actual animatronic shark you can put in the water helps. Um, the The scene with the shark cage, that was actually a real shark um, photographed. I want to say it was somewhere in Australia. But it wasn't, you know, it's obviously not, they didn't have a 25 foot great white. (laughs) So they built a smaller version of the cage 
and uh, it was a some couple that does underwater photography that that shot that stuff. But the whole thing where the shark is freaking out and like tearing the cage apart because it got caught in the the cabling and all that that was real. That wasn't planned. That just happened, and they're like, "Yeah, keep it in. That looks good." <laughs> So this is this is a case of a movie that was really make, made in the editing room, if you think about it. Like mm-hmm. what they shot versus what got done, and that was that was a thing where uh, I think kind of a younger, more arrogant Spielberg didn't um, like the fact that so many people, industry people, were like, "Oh, well, it's the editor that that made this movie." Um, so he never worked with that editor again, no. which I, um, I thought was rather interesting. Now, granted, the the editor, she I think only she died a few years after the movie, but oh. I still like it was one of those I'm like really never worked with that editor again, and I don't think it was like anger more so other than more like um, wanting to prove that he could do it by himself. Uh, who was the editor? Verna Fields was the film editor. Did she edit anything else like of note? Uh, American Graffiti was her. Um, so okay. she had worked with, uh, George Lucas prior to that. Um, and you know, uh, Lucas and Spielberg were, um, were big friends at the time, especially at the time. Uh, no, this was the last major film she edited, but before it, she had done American Graffiti, Paper Moon, What's Up Doc, um, Death Watch in 1966. I don't know what that one is, but, uh, and, and. From all accounts, the two of them, um, Spielberg and, and her, kind of butted heads um, in terms of like what to keep in the film and what not to. She was like, "Look, we need to do it this way," and he's like, "I want to, you know, I shot all this stuff. We should use it." Um, but he ultimately listened more, I think, to her, and that helped because this movie, the editing in this movie, there's a reason that it was up for and it won uh, sound and editing Oscars, and you don't think of this movie as being Oscar worthy, but it was actually up for best picture. Right. Star Wars uh, was also up for best picture a couple years later. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, But this one, best sound, best film editing and best original dramatic score. And that's, that's another one that I want to talk about because you know who wrote the music for this, right? Of course. John Williams. Yeah. Uh, This is an early one for him though, but talk about iconic music. To be able to, I mean, it's it's what like four notes, if that. Uh, but as soon as you start humming that, everyone everyone knows exactly what you're humming, and that takes. I mean, that's taking you know music. And I'm I'm a film score buff. I love film scores. So um, John Williams is one of those where I can listen to a lot of his stuff. Uh, I I still contest that his the best my. Okay, my favorite song that he's done is "Duel of the Fates" from uh, Episode One. That's I, funny because I will I will defend um, his prequel scores to the death, regardless of how you feel about the movies. I, I love a lot of those songs from the prequels. Uh, "Across mm-hmm. the Stars" is one of my favorite in the Ooh. whole saga. So that's a good one too. That's a really good one. Um, but yeah, so he won uh, he won an Oscar for this, um, and the music in this movie is really good because it sets that tone. Right from the beginning, right from that first opening kind of cold open scene, um, we get uh, we get a, a feel for what this movie is going to be about based on that music. So I, I dig that quite a bit. John Williams is uh, some some people kind of give him crap 
for not doing something, I guess, original, but he does really iconic stuff. Yeah. Anybody that's giving John Williams crap just needs to get out. Um, <laughs> he's so many iconic movie scores. It's not just Star Wars. Obviously, he's always going to be tied to Star Wars, but there's so many other themes that are so iconic from the last like 40 years that he's done. It's, it's insane. He is a god of movie scoring. Yeah, he really, I mean, not just Star Wars, but Jaws, but uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, like all of that. And and the, he's he's so great at coming up with this melody that's instantly recognizable for what it's for. Um, and that, that takes a lot of talent. So yeah, I mean, I like John Williams a lot, uh, but this is, this is just so, the music in this is so iconic. And then you couple that with, this movie also popularized a very specific camera shot. And I don't know if you, you maybe have seen the clip of it before, but it's that push pull on Roy Scheider when he's sitting on the beach that zoom in and pull out, yep. or I guess, I don't know. You can do it one of two ways. You either push in and zoom out or you back off and zoom in. But the use of that in this movie, a lot of people call it the jaw shot. It had been used before that. I think, was it developed for Vertigo, I want to say, or something? But this is like the movie that took it and made it something that everybody remembers. Because as, as soon as you see that, it really does give you that that kind of disoriented feeling. Uh, and then, of course, it's just Roy Scheider staring off. That's Oh, that's another thing. I wrote a note uh, for myself. Nobody does staring past the camera like Spielberg. If you ever notice that in his movies, uh, there's always somebody or multiple people. They look like it's shots of people looking beyond the camera. He does that so much, and this movie has it all over the place. Um, it works great, though. It's it, I know it's a Spielberg thing, but it works great. It always makes you feel like there's more going on in the world that you're not seeing, but you want to see. Right, yes. You're like, wait, I want to see what all these people are looking at, and then you cut to something else. So, yeah, I love that. I also like the way this was edited in terms of, like, long takes because that's just not done as much anymore, you know? I don't, like, there's something about late 70s, early 80s films where you had these long takes of people talking, and I feel like there's, there's a skill to that, not only in the blocking, but then from the actors to have to remember lines for that long to do a, a whole take. And you realize that... If they if one of them messes up, they got to redo that, and these takes <laughs> just go on and on. Um, right, does, they don't usually do that that much anymore. You know, no, you get a lot more coverage. In fact, one that really stood out to me was uh, early on in the movie, Roy Scheider's walking down the street with the armful of uh, paint supplies to make the signs that he didn't pay for. Right, he didn't pay for. <laughs> um, and then his deputy comes up in the truck, and they're talking, and it's all done in one shot. And because it was done in one shot and they didn't do any coverage, the guy getting out of the truck has to crawl across the seat and get out. And then Roy Scheider's got to hand him the stuff and get back into the truck and crawl back across the, the seat to get in. Like, nobody's going to do that in real life. You would walk around it to get in and out. But because of the way it's blocked, and I guess they just didn't want to do multiple takes for that, um, it, it's something that stands out to me that you don't see in movies these days. 
are, mm-hmm. are shots like that. Or, um, you know, long shots of people talking and either doing the walk and talk like a West Wing style thing, but, but also just in a room and a bunch of people talking all at once. And you get that kind of, and I noticed this in movies from this era where the sound mix is such that half the time you can't tell who's talking to who. I don't know if you'd notice that. Well, I watch almost everything with closed captions on now. So. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's one way to get around it. Um, yep. And there are scenes in this movie where you almost need that because right. uh, like, there's Roy Scheider on the phone. So Chief Brody's on the phone hearing about the girl for the uh, that got killed by the shark. Meanwhile, the background of the shot is his wife and son, and they're cleaning off his hand. The mix is such that they're all at the same volume. So you're hearing two conversations going on at once, or I guess one and a half conversations. And it can get a little bit disorienting. I noticed, I remember that with uh, Close Encounters, too, did the same type of thing. Maybe it was a Spielberg thing, and I'm just uh, equating that to like all 70s movies. But I feel like, I feel like movies of this era did that a lot more. Well, it's a good way to put you kind of in the character's mood, too, where things are a little disorienting. So, yeah, I guess. I guess that, that's a pretty solid point, too. Um, in terms of monster movies, this for me has to go towards the top of my list of monster movies because uh, that's what I, I consider this to be. Um, being somebody who does watch the occasional uh, monster film, how, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you think, I guess, a better question actually should be this movie is 45 years old now, 46 years old. Um, do you feel like it lived up to the hype of what people have said about it over this amount of time now that you've finally seen it? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> so good. I did enjoy it a lot. You can tell this is well, like from the second the movie starts, it's, it's, this is top tier filmmaking. It's really good. I, like I said, I was never bored once for the entire movie. And then after it was done, I don't know if I'm going to be like watching it every three days like some people do, (laughs) but I can understand where if I had if I wasn't a Frady cat and had seen this at a younger age, I would have a lot of nostalgia for it and just be obsessed with it. I could see why people are obsessed with this movie. So it definitely holds up. One hundred percent holds up. Okay, It's just as good today as it probably was 45 years ago. And and that for me is something that I'm always curious about because I recently saw the Shawshank Redemption for the first time. Um, I had not seen that, and that movie, of course, is hyped up. And I felt the same way. I felt like yes, this met and exceeded the expectations that were already set on it as super high. So I'm really glad to hear that from you because, again, this is one of those movies that has been endlessly copied and parodied. So it's interesting to have gone at, you know, this long into your life and having not seen it, but now that you have, and the fact that yes, it's as good as everyone told me it was going to be. Um, I, I love that. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you liked the movie. Cause I, it, you know, I never know. Uh, I tend to go into these, not knowing the reason that somebody hasn't seen a movie so that it can be part of the conversation. And so then to find and to hear your reasoning was that, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of everything and I don't like scary movies. So, oh, no. Oh, no. What have I done? Like my, <laughs> the first two minutes of the show, I'm thinking, oh, great. 
And but I'm fine with scary movies now. It's just, you know, <laughs> when I was a little kid. <laughs> oh yeah. No, and I totally get that. But I'm I'm just I'm really glad that you liked it and uh and I hope that you Jesus, um, that kid getting eaten oh. by the shark would have scarred me for fucking life. <laughs> you you'd never, never go in the water. The fucking no. water ever. <laughs> no. I and and you know, it it's a ballsy move by a movie to do that. Yeah. It wouldn't happen now. No. You you wouldn't do that now. Although I say that and there's a I don't know if you saw Doctor Sleep, the the sequel no. to The Shining, but I've heard a, it's great though. It's really good, uh, but there's a scene in that that involves a young kid that I was like, I can't believe they managed to do that in this movie made in 2017 or whatever, 2018, or no, 19. Anyway, um, but yeah, like the the kid getting killed by the shark and pretty gruesomely, like it's just kid kid's gone, just a pile, you know, a pool of blood in the water. Um, I was kind of surprised by that still. I, I I forget that one. Like, I know it's there, but I don't... I like Jaws, but I also don't watch it all the time. It's probably been five or six years since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, little things I forget, like, oh, yeah, they really show that part, or they really did that bit. Um, and apparently this could have been more gruesome, but Spielberg did cut a few things uh, to get it down to that PG rating. So, yeah, got to be PG for the kids, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah, Mark gave me this on Blu-ray for mm. Mark is my co-host on the show. And it's been a running joke on our show that I've never seen this for a long time. <laughs> and he gave it to me on Blu-ray last Christmas. So it, it was literally sitting here in the wrapper on my desk. And I'm like, all right, it's time. <laughs> it's time to open this one up. Awesome. I well, will say that the Blu-ray, um, the one downside to this movie that I had, the one downside was that. The Blu-ray has closed captioning, but it's for the hard of hearing. It's mm. the only English closed captioning. So it's not just the people talking. It also says in parentheses, like, shark makes noise. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Knocking yeah. sounds. You're like, oh, God, damn it. <laughs> I was really worried that was going to take away from the movie for me. But it did not. So we're good. We're good. Excellent. Good, good. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And I'm really glad that you enjoyed the movie. Now, you do a show called So Wizard. And yes. let people know about that show, where they can find it. What's it about? Okay. So uh, the... It's an exciting new concept in podcasts that no one's ever done before. It's uh, three people talking about nerdy movies and reviewing them. Hmm, okay. Yeah, we've never had that in the in the history of podcasts nope, before. Breaking new ground. Yes. No, uh, <laughs> it's me and three of my friends. Uh, we run the So Wizard podcast. Uh, Adam, who will be on, I believe, next week or the week after. Mm-hmm. He uh, does all our YouTube channel and our website. And then myself... Uh, Aubrey and Mark Ellis are on the main podcast. We review movies every single week, nerdy genre movies, horror, sci-fi, action, and we talk about the news involving them as well. And we've been doing it for, it'll be seven years in August. We have not missed a single week since we started. Uh, we just dropped episode 347 last week. So. Wow. Uh, and here I am thinking two years is a pretty good run. Seven years not missing a week. That's impressive. <laughs> I got a hats off to you on that. Um, yeah, yeah it so, helps if you can find a group of people like yourself that are masochists with no life. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned that uh, Adam will be on, and actually, Adam, Audrey, and Mark uh, Markellis. Yep. Yeah, uh, all three are going to be on. We're doing a, a So Wizard takeover of my show for this month. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it because we got some fun stuff on tap. Um, a movie I've never seen and had barely heard of, uh, News of the World, 
coming up. I don't even know what that is, but you know, Adam and Mark are going to be tougher because they watched, they watch everything. They are huge movie buffs. So like when you want like more serious movie discussion, like those are the two guys. So when I was telling them, okay, you got to pick a movie you haven't seen. It was like, Adam took like almost two hours to try to come up with something (laughs) that he hadn't seen. That would be worth talking about. Mark, I I already knew what he was going to do because I'm like, he, he had never seen that movie he picked. And I was just like, I'll drive over your house with the Blu-ray right now. <laughs> you need to watch this finally. It's time. It's I'm, time. I'm looking forward to that one, too, because I've got some fun stories about uh, that's going to be Event Horizon. And yep. I saw that some... in the theater twice. So. <laughs> I saw it in the theater, too, uh, but only once, and there's a reason for that. And I'll, I'll have to, I'm saving that story for when we do the show, but that's going to be great. And then Better Off Dead with, uh, with Audrey. So some fun stuff coming up the rest of this month. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it, but thank you for coming on. Uh, this was fun. We've been kind of dancing around it for a little bit. Um, you know, we're friends on Twitter and you, by the way, uh, you guys are great, um, at, uh, promoting other podcasts. And I love that. Um, we try our best. I, I remember, I always remember the grind when we very first started and nobody would talk to us and no one would interact with us and we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> so whenever any other podcast pop up and I'm like, they follow us, I follow every podcast back. And then a lot of times they just disappear. But then some people like yourselves and other people start interacting and we become friends. And then here we are, you know. Yeah. And it's great. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on this week and talking and, and, you know, stepping out and, and watching Jaws finally and fixing that. Cause what the hell, man? Um, well, I guess I'll never go swimming ever again, but Hey, at least we got a good <laughs> podcast out of it. So. Just, just don't swim in the ocean. You can go in a lake. That's There's right. no sharks That's in the right. lakes. You're fine. You don't, you don't know what's in the swimming pool though. You don't know if someone's been cleaning it or what. You know? Fair. That's a, that's actually, I think pools are scarier than the ocean a lot. So, uh, but yeah, so this show I record uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. at um, and I stream it live twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And if you want to come hang out and be like uh, Nisbet and Danny Ora and Phelan in my chat and yell at me and tell me about the movies that I need to see, Phelan as well, um, please do because I love having people in the chat. The, the show comes out on Wednesdays. Um, at tvstravis.com is the easiest place to find it because I gave it a horrible name that's difficult to search um, because I put commas and periods and question marks in it because I'm an idiot. So, uh, But the show is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's available on all the podcasting platforms. If you do um, listen to the show, uh, leave a rating, and that helps the show be more discoverable um, as we continue to grow. So uh, I, I greatly appreciate that. So next week is going to be News of the World, and that's Tom Hanks, and it's a brand new movie. Uh, I think this 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 past year, I know zero about it other than Tom Hanks. That is what I'm going into it with. So this should be interesting. Uh, but I like Tom Hanks that's more than I knew about it. <laughs> Uh, well, there we go then. So, uh, once again, Joey, thank you for coming on. You have been awesome. We'll have to do this again. We'll find something else that you haven't seen. Um, of course, anytime. Thank you for having me. Uh, so wizardpodcast.com. Check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, and until then, I always like to say to, to enjoy your movies and look, the world is crazy, but it's getting better. So be excellent to each other.
slower ahead. I can go slower ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>